Hello, I'm Waylon Kenning, your trusted advisor on things Web3, decentralized identity, verifiable credentials, self-sovereign identity. Basically, modern identity. In the previous episode, we talked a bit about the state of the world when it comes to trust and the challenges that are involved with really operating on the internet that did not really have trust as one of its foundations. And we said that this week's episode would concentrate on some of the use cases for these newfangled verifiable credentials. Now, just as a recap of last week, verifiable credentials really, made up of the two words, credentials being really bits of information, assertions about you, about things, from people, from companies, from senses, really just statements of fact. And verifiable means cryptographically verifiable, verifiable by computer. And really that's done through the use of a digital signature. Now, this all feels a little out there. So let's talk about some use cases at a really high level across many different industries where verifiable credentials could be useful. And the first one is going to be one that we're all familiar with, we all went through, which would be the COVID crisis that happened around 2020, 2021, and sort of a bit of 2022. Now when this happened, the big challenge was trying to identify who was vaccinated and who wasn't vaccinated, because different people uh, had different conditions around what they could do or not do. And so governments around the world came up with these Uh, concepts of a vaccine passport or a COVID pass, and the country that I am in, New Zealand, was one of those as well. And the technology behind those COVID passes, which essentially looked like a QR code to most people, was in fact a verifiable credential. And so really, the verifiable credentials have some quite unique properties. And one of those unique properties is the digital signature. So the signature that says that this information is true, that this information has not been tampered with, and has been issued by somebody, comes along with the data. So a good way to think about it is if you imagine there's a letter, and that letter says... This person has had a vaccine. In the envelope that that letter sits inside states sender, Ministry of Health. And it has a big wax seal on the back of that envelope that you know only the Ministry of Health can make. Then essentially, when that envelope of information comes to you, which in this case was the COVID pass, once decoded, you could see, ah yes, 
the digital signature has told me that this has not been tampered with. And the entity that generated the digital signature, i.e. essentially the, the issuer of the credential, was indeed an entity called Ministry of Health. Now, in the previous episode, we talked a bit about how trust isn't just a technological thing. It's it's really a societal construct. And so, great, something called the Ministry of Health has signed this credential. But how do you know that they're a legitimate entity and not just whale on masquerading as the Ministry of Health? And so that's where there are other parts of this technology stack that can help enable that. One of those uh, technology components is called an decentralized identifier. And we'll go into those in a bit more detail in a different episode. But suffice to say, if you see a credential, and the credential is from an entity that says the Ministry of Health, then you can make a judgment call and say, hey, yes, I've got this bit of data here. It's been digitally signed by the Ministry of Health. And the really neat thing is, is actually, you can verify that that signature is valid without having to talk to the Ministry of Health. And this is a very different construct to how most systems work in terms of checking permissions, checking attributes, checking claims, checking out facts. A good example of the system that we're all familiar with is really getting a credit check. So you might decide you're going to go to the furniture store, you're going to buy yourself a nice beautiful sofa, and you're going to use finance to do that. So when you're in the store, and you say, I'd I'd like to apply for finance. You may have some information about your credit history. You might know your credit score. However, the furniture store does not trust you to say, yep, my credit score was 800, I'm all good, because you could be lying. So what they do instead is they contact the issuer directly, and they say, hey, Equifax, or hey, whoever else. What is this person's credit score? Should we lend them the money to buy this new sofa? But imagine if you carried that bit of information, your credit history, but it was actually wrapped in an envelope that is a digital signature. And that digital signature comes from Equifax, or comes from Vita Advantage, or whoever is your Uh, credit bureau of choice and then you could choose to give that to the furniture store and the furniture store could say okay well let me cryptographically verify i i'm going to use my computer software to check that the signature is still valid and has not been tampered with and if that is the case then i don't have to talk to the credit bureau directly because I have a bit of information that was issued by the credit bureau and I know that it has not been tampered with. A little bit of a digression there. But essentially, 
the COVID pass, which is really a record of vaccination, becomes one of these verifiable credentials with a really powerful property, which is you don't have to talk to the issuer to check whether they had really issued this credential or not, because that information comes with a credential. We have an example of using this all the time in our day-to-day -day life, and that is your driver's license. When you go to the supermarket, the grocery store, the liquor store, and you want to buy a bottle of wine, they might say, hello, can I see some ID? When you pull your driver's license out and you show it to them, in that moment, they're not literally calling up the Department of Motor Vehicles, the transport agency, and saying, hey, I've got this guy called Waylon in here, and he's presented this driver's license, and the license number is ABC123. Can you just look it up on your system, and you just tell me if this is a legitimate driver's license or not? Now, it obviously sounds like a terrible idea, but just to kind of pull apart why that's a terrible idea is because, A, that would be tremendously inefficient if every time you need to, to check that a driver's license was valid, you had to talk to the issuer to ensure that that was the case, means that in all circumstances you have to wait for that network transmission. So you're going to need to be online, you're going to need some sort of network connection that you talk to and say, oh, hello, transport agency, is this driver's license still valid? Now, also, it's quite a vulnerability to have this one giant uh, interface that a transport agency might have that tells you whether a driver's license is valid or not. Now, I'm not suggesting that it would be hackable, but there are attacks on the internet. A common one is one called a denial of service, where a lot of computers around the world send phony requests and basically overload the pipe that uh, would be used to check whether a driver's license is valid or not. And then, hence you, you have the name, the denial of service, the service being you know, checking to see whether this driver's license is valid or not, is unavailable, and everything grinds to a halt. Now, that wouldn't be great. I wouldn't be able to buy the bottle of wine at the supermarket, but equally, some people wouldn't be able to fly. Some people might have a hard time proving their identity at the doctor. There's some really drastic consequences that come from that service being unavailable. But you don't have to worry about that with a driver's license. The, the driver's license in the real world, the physical world, comes with a bunch of attributes and properties that you can look at and anyone can look at to determine whether it's real or not. And that could be holograms, it could be certain colours, it could be certain photos that are physically printed onto the card, it could be barcodes, it could be all sorts of attributes and characteristics. And these, this new world of verifiable credentials has digital equivalents of a lot of those characteristics to really prove the authenticity of that credential. So, as you can see, really any 
bit of information about yourself that is issued by really any entity, whether that be a government agency, so that could be uh, your proof of health system eligibility, so that might be a national health number, it could be your proof of educational eligibility, so that could be a national student number for instance. It could be your proof of eligibility for um, payment for study. So that could be some relationship with a social service agency. It can be proof of entitlements the government gives you, such as your ability to drive on the land transport network, your ability to own a firearm, it could be information about you from private companies. So it might be your credit score. It might be proof of employment. It could be information held about you by private companies such as proof of address. It could be information about yourself. So self-assertions, which could be, I have climbed Mount Ruapehu, I know how to change a tyre, and I can make a podcast and speak in a really weird cadence. All of these assertions, credentials, really elements of identity, can be wrapped in that envelope and made verifiable and turned into a verifiable credential. And they're not wholly limited to just bits of information. Really, the highest order is this concept of verifiable data, where any bit of information that comes from any system or person can be wrapped in an envelope with a digital signature and handed over to the next entity that needs to deal with that, and they can have confidence that it's authentic. The big change that that enables is really this kind of concept of like, trust at a distance. So if you were to imagine you talk to your friend and you tell them, hey, here's a secret. Then your friend tells another friend and their friend tells another friend. Each time that bit of information is transmitted from one person to another, a facsimile, a copy is created and the accuracy of the information goes down and down. So what might be secret plans for a proposal, get watered on down, turn into a party, maybe people will get a bit more casual, and by the end of it, who knows when the party is and what we were supposed to be wearing. However, the concept of a verifiable credential means that every entity, whether they are the first party, the first person to get the information, or the hundredth person, to get the information can verify that it is still true, that it is still correct, and that it is still authentic. Which is really amazing when you think about it. With supply chains that span across multiple companies, as you put together a bundle of roses and you put that into a cargo container, and you put that cargo container onto a plane, and you transport it around the world from the grower to the transporter to the shipper to the airline. 
to the customs agent at the other end, to the photosanitary agents or the biosecurity agents, to the wholesalers, to the retailers, to the, to the end consumer, the end purchaser of those plants. Every single entity in that whole end-to-end process can check information such as, where were these roses growing? Who grew them? When did they grow? What were the conditions? That's something that has been very difficult to be able to do, and, and really, actually, nigh impossible to achieve, especially where those sorts of information chains are really susceptible to fraud. So any time that information flows across borders, flows uh, between organisations, if there is the likelihood that that information could be changed, so that someone could make more money, be entitled to more stuff, then that is an information chain that is susceptible to fraud. And we see examples of this all the time. A really good one is the quality and and provenance of specific foods, whether they be special tomatoes, or they be olive oil, or they be, in New Zealand, manuka honey. Normal honey goes for about $5 a jar, but specialty manuka honey that has a unique manuka factor, has special properties around healing, can go for $80, $100, $200 a jar. So if you've got normal honey that's $5 a jar, and you've got honey that's special that goes for $200 a jar, maybe some people might be unscrupulous, and they might dilute down or not even put the correct honey then they slap a label on the container and say, yes, this is the more expensive product. However, if an entity such as a laboratory or a government agency says, yes, this honey was is authentic, we have checked it, and we're going to put on the label inside a QR code, we're going to put a credential and we're going to make sure it's verifiable that you can check no matter who you are in the world that this is authentic and has been issued by a real trusted government agency in New Zealand then that actually can secure that supply chain in a way that has been very difficult to do so far so primary industries anywhere to do with production food wood wine are really, really good candidates for the world of verifiable credentials. Another good candidate is the topic of financial industries. And we're going to chat about that in a little bit more detail. Financial industries are built around bits of information and having confidence in those bits of information. And one fantastic example of that is a thing called Know Your Customer, KYC. So Know Your Customer, or KYC, revolves around this idea of who is this entity that I'm dealing with? As an example, my bank really wants to know who I am before it will lend me money. Because if I don't pay back the money 
then they want to go through a legal process to um, get that money back. And to do that, they need to know who I am. Another example of this is around receiving money. So if I want to deposit a large amount of cash, banks and financial institutions would like to know who I am so they can say, yes, Waylon Kenning was a person, he received a large amount of money, and we are confident that it truly was Waylon. And that becomes very useful for anti-money laundering, uh, making sure that people aren't funding, you know, uh, criminal activity and that type of stuff. So this concept of KYC, Know Your Customer, essentially is a packet of information about me. It's my identity information. And it is really mandated in legislation what information is required to be a part of that. And that we can go into more detail in a, in a further episode that concentrates on financial use cases. But for example, it would be full names, full date of births, full addresses, that, that sort of information. Now, it costs a lot of money to go and verify this KYC information. So financial institutions spend a lot of time and effort to make sure that it is correct. And so if you've ever gone through that process where you had to go into the bank, you had to show your driver's license to a, a physical, like in the flesh, you had to physically show your driver's license, you had to physically sign some paperwork. That whole vetting process is expensive. It costs a lot of money to have a physical location. It costs a lot of money to have a person who is at that physical location who can receive that identity information to then say, yes, it is true and correct and I have cited it. So, once that has been created, once the banks or financial institutions are confident in it, really that's a credential. These assertions or statements of fact about yourself. Now, you are not the one who issues them. It's not me as Waylon Kenning saying, hello, my name is Waylon Kenning and my address is 123 High Street. It's the banks as the issuer. The bank says, hello, this person is Waylon Kenning and we have cited their identity information and we know that their address is 123 High Street. We've, we've sent a letter to them and it was delivered with a code. So if we take that concept of the KYC information, then that could be a credential that is issued to me by my bank. It becomes verifiable. A digital signature is, is wrapped around it. So if we remember, we we're talking about an envelope that wraps around information, and that's the digital signature, making it into a verifiable credential. Then think about all the downstream places where you need to provide that information. You might be deciding to get yourself a cell phone, and today the cell phone company would need to have a connection to some credit history service or a credit checking service or a credit bureau, where now you could carry that information yourself. You could be going out and buying some furniture. You could be going out and you could be getting yourself a new utility service. 
really anywhere where a business or an organization or an entity needs to have confidence in who you are, then rather than you having to tell them, here's my information, here's a copy of it all, here's my address, they now have that information and then they need to like give it to a third party to credit check it and get that information back. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of different companies holding your information and the more organizations that are holding your information, the higher the likelihood that something is going to happen to that information, whether it gets exposed accidentally or um, a malicious uh, hacker decides to target an organization. And this is not fear-mongering, this is like statements of fact that many institutions uh, a few medical ones over in Australia have been in the bank quite recently. Sorry, a few medical ones in Australia have been in the paper quite recently. Talking about uh, our customers' information has been attacked and stolen and is now available. So this is this is all quite stressful, and there is a new way to be able to handle that information. Rather than organizations themselves needing to receive full copies, then sending it to other organizations who need to check it. Well, actually, maybe me, me as Waylon, can decide to hold a bunch of that information inside a digital wallet, so a software agent. And that digital wallet is how I can present that information to whoever really wants it which would be called uh, a verifier. So we're starting to hint at the structure of the different actors that are involved in this identity space when it comes to verifiable credentials. And it's, and it's really a, a, a triangle, a menage a trois of entities. We have issuers, so some entities issue verifiable credentials. We have holders. Holders are the people who have them. So me as a person, I can be a holder. I hold it within some software, that software normally being a digital wallet. Of course, holders don't have to be a person. A holder could be a system. A holder can be a company. But something holds this credential and then the credential is requested by someone who relies on that information and they go through and they verify verify it and they check it so sometimes those entities are called relying parties because they rely on the information within it sometimes they're called verifiers which i think makes a bit more sense because they're the ones who verify that information Just to really reiterate that in the current world, information normally flows between the verifier. So I happen to be a credit card company. I want to know your identity information. I will talk directly to an issuer who might be a bank and say, hey bank, I want to check this information. And the bank says, yes, that's right or know it's wrong. But me as Waylon, me as the holder, I have no part to play in that. 
those entities talk to each other directly and I'm not sure what information they are giving each other and I'm also really not sure what they're doing with it. In this new world where I am the holder, as the holder I can see the information that is being requested by the verifier, by the relying party, because it comes to me. I can see all the attributes, I can see the information within it, and then I provide consent to give that information over. And so in the next episode, we're going to drill down on the topics of holders, issuers, and verifiers. We're going to walk through these different uh, actors, and we're going to sort of look at the different roles they play and, and how that works. Once again, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next week, I'm Waylon Kenning, your trusted advisor for all things verifiable credential, digital, ide- decentralized identity, self-sovereign identity, this whole crazy world of Web3. Enjoy your day.